0: Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight we enter Room 106, the den of discomfort into which all new planning information is deposited, and extract the key things you need to know.
1: In this edition, the Government's plans to free up house building by relaxing water pollution controls on new developments have been rejected by the House of Lords. We ask what's likely to happen next.
0: A Surrey council has responded furiously to an order from the planning minister not to withdraw its emerging local plan from examination. We'll explain the background to the row. And lawyers have not long returned from their annual get-together in Oxford. We'll hear the key messages to emerge from the joint planning law conference. And we'll round up some of the other big news stories of the past fortnight. So... Ready to go in? I guess so. Well, here we are again in room 106. Oh dear, we're going to have to kick our way through the freshly falling amendments to the levelling up bill.
1: Yes, and it looks like there's been lots of correspondence between Spelthorne Council and Rachel McLean. And a lot of it seems to have been written in capital
0: letters. As ever, though, we have some help. Yes, here's our senior reporter, Samantha Reckford. Hello, Sam. Hello. And our online editor, Toby Porter. Hello. Good to have you with us. But, John, can I start with you and the news that the government has hit problems with its plans to free up house building by relaxing the rules on water pollution from new developments? What's happened?
1: So the House of Lords has voted down the government's proposed amendment to the levelling up and regeneration bill which would have told councils to ignore the impact of development on protected sites. And the almost last-minute opposition of the Labour Party to the amendment was key here. Just a few days before the vote, Labour, which had not previously spelt out its position, announced that it would oppose the government's attempt to scrap the so-called nutrient neutrality requirements. As background, the government last month tabled a series of amendments to the levelling up bill in a bid to resolve this long-running issue of nutrient neutrality and the hold-up to housing permissions and housing delivery. If agreed, it would have seen local planning authorities told to assume that developments would not adversely affect areas affected by the advice and to ignore evidence to the contrary – And this proposal had, unsurprisingly, been heavily criticised by environmental groups who said it would result in worse water pollution. And obviously, water pollution is a huge issue at the moment. But just a couple of days before the vote, writing an article in The Times, Labour's deputy leader and the newly appointed shadow levelling up secretary, Angela Rayner, said her party would vote against this amendment, which would potentially put the policy at risk of defeat. It's important to remember that the Conservatives don't have a majority in the House of Lords as they do in the House of Commons. Her article was co-penned with the Shadow Environment Secretary Steve Reed, and it said the government's approach would not only significantly weaken environmental law and increase river pollution, but would fatally undermine the emerging market in nutrient pollution reduction that developers are already making use of. So the vote took place on the evening of Tuesday September 12th it was defeated by 192 votes to 161 because of the late stage that the government introduced the amendment it can't now try to amend the bill again in the house of commons after it was defeated in the
0: lords I think when I saw that news I I I thought oh well you know maybe the government will restore that clause when the um, when the bill goes back to the commons but that's not a possibility apparently not no okay So how have the planning and development sectors reacted to this? Generally, lawyers felt that the amendment was bad legislation.
1: One described it as rushed and poorly thought through, and they pointed out the lack of consultation on the proposals. But house builders and planning consultants, who broadly think that the nutrient neutrality requirements are unduly restrictive and holding up housing, planning permissions and delivery, they said this would mean the status quo would continue... One predicted many more years of delay and a doubling of the housing backlog.
0: OK, so what happens
1: now? The levelling up and housing department issued a statement last week that basically told councils to carry on as normal with nutrient mitigation. It said nutrient neutrality remains a government priority and said a further announcement about next steps would be made in due course. It said that in the near term, it's important that planning decision-making continues in the areas affected on the basis of the current legal framework, meaning that where mitigation is available, local authorities and developers should seek to progress sites. The statement went on to say the government is aiming to secure royal assent of the levelling up bill, which has just finished its report stage in the House of Lords, before the King's speech on the 7th of November. So that's only six weeks away. In some of the national newspapers today and yesterday, the reports that Downing Street is drawing up plans for a new bill that would allow ministers to remove the nutrient neutrality requirements, and this would be included in the King's speech in November. According to a report in the Sunday Telegraph, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is absolutely determined to axe these rules, with the government planning to use the Conservatives' parliamentary majority in the House of Commons to secure the bill's passage. So watch this space. It's
0: quite interesting, isn't it? It sounds like it might be another area where Rishi Sunak thinks there's a kind of culture war here, and um, it's a good sort of dividing line to be in a position where he's promoting house building uh, against what he's depicting as a a bit of European-inspired red tape, and trying to push Labour into a position where they're defending the so-called red tape, although. Whether they will do when this gets a bit further down the line remains to be seen.
1: Yes, I think that's right. And just after Christmas, or around Christmas time, we had Labour criticising the government for proposing to water down the requirement for um, councils to meet their local housing need targets and accusing them of um, siding with NIMBYs. So it's perhaps useful for the um, for the government to be seen as um, backing house builders in this instance. It sort of shows the tension in Labour as well between the sort of environmental protection instincts and this pro-house-building stance that they've adopted.
0: Okay, all very interesting. Thank you very much for that, John. (music) Toby, can I turn to you? What's been going on in Spellthorne in Surrey?
2: Spellthorne Borough Council has issued a defiant response to a direction from Housing Minister Rachel McLean who prevented it withdrawing its emerging local plan from examination. The council has now responded by blaming chaos and mixed messaging from the government for the delays to the plan, including the delays to the publication of the revised National Planning Policy Framework.
0: OK, and what's behind this row?
2: Well, the Conservatives lost control of the council at the May local elections and the new regime of councillors shortly afterwards voted for a three-month delay to the ongoing examination of its local plan to allow members to fully understand the plan's proposals. An extraordinary council meeting on the 14th of September had been due to consider withdrawing its emerging local plan from examination, among other options. But in a letter sent just hours before the meeting, McLean ordered the council not to withdraw the plan, pointing out that there's been... 14 years since it last adopted a development strategy.
0: OK, and what then happened in the meeting?
2: Councils actually voted to extend the pause in the plan's examination timetable until proposed changes to the MPPF had been published, which expected to take place in the autumn and to take immediate legal advice. Now, Spelthorne Council's independent group leader, Joanne Sexton, has written a strongly worded letter to McLean slamming chaos and mixed messaging in government over-housing policy. She said, Like most councils, we've been waiting on the updated MPPF since it was promised in May 2023, and there is still no definite timetable for its publication. Your own planning inspectorate, she continues, has already agreed to pause other examinations, for example, Moor Valley and Solihal, for exactly this reason. Her letter backed by other smaller parties on the council, goes on to say that the council has been preparing its plan, in quotes again, through an unprecedented period of instability in the planning system, with major reforms being proposed, which seemed to change with the wind. And she cites three housing and planning white papers between 2017 and 2022. She also pointed out, the Secretary of State had not intervened when Conservative-controlled Basildon and independent-run Castle Point councils withdrew their local plans last year. She then refers to a list of 64 councils with local plans that are more than 10 years old, saying many of them have a worse land supply position than Spelthorne.
0: So the is clearly getting very heated, but what does she say about what she claims are inconsistencies between the... um... The government's approach to different authorities.
2: She asked, "Can you please confirm that you were mistaken in your latest letter when you stated that if Spelthorne withdraws the plan, it will be left with one of the oldest adopted local plans in the country? If you concede this point, does it follow that you should rescind the intervention, or is it your intention to intervene in the other councils with plans older than 2009?" council also, the letter goes on to say, takes, quote, issue with the fact that you chose to intervene on the 14th of September 2023, less than four hours before the council were due to take a critical decision on the local plan, describing this, in her words, as completely unreasonable and unprecedented.
0: Okay, well, they sound like some pretty strong criticisms, and it does actually sound like some pertinent points about the inconsistencies she uh, she claims What happens when you put those inconsistencies to the government?
2: They just restated local plan policy and did not directly address the inconsistencies which Joanne Sexton pointed out.
0: Okay, but coming back to the council considering withdrawing the plan, what was the council leader's justification for doing that?
2: Well, in her letter, Joanne Sexton concluded the option of withdrawing the plan was included because it was felt that it may actually be more expedient to withdraw the plan and prepare a new Regulation 19 version and resubmit in time to meet the deadline of 30th of June 2025, rather than going through a protracted examination process, which will possibly raise soundness issues and even longer delays at a later stage.
0: Okay, interesting. So she's saying that maybe the um, putting it into examination would actually make the whole process take longer than it would do if they start again. Okay, well, that's uh, very interesting. Thanks very much, Toby. Going to be following that one with interest, I'm sure. Sam, can I turn to you now? You were at the Joint Planning Law Conference in Oxford a couple of weekends ago, at which I understand that former government advisor Jonathan Porritt had some choice words to say about the government's approach to sustainability. So what exactly did he say?
3: So, describing the UK as one of the most seriously nature-depleted countries anywhere in Europe, he argued that the planning system was based on a massive lie about sustainable development. So, this is the Jonathan Porritt who chaired the now-defunct government advisory body, the Sustainable Development Commission, between 2000 and 2009. Porritt also told the conference that the government was full of liars when it comes to the environment and described levelling up Secretary Michael Gove as the liar-in-chief
0: colourful language, but what does he mean by it?
3: Porritt argued that there is now a whole generation of decision makers in both government and in the private sector who have a foot in what he described as the old world of fossil fuels and growth at all costs, and another foot in what he described as the new emerging world in which we will all have moved towards an energy system that is predominantly driven by renewables. He went on to say, and I quote, The entire planning system today is based on that one massive lie. That we can permanently look to meet the interests of people today without sacrificing the interests of people tomorrow. He said the planning profession was on the front line of trying to mitigate the consequences of being compelled to live in that lie and described planning professionals as victims who are all dependent on a system that is inherently dysfunctional. He argued that the situation was largely to do with politicians who do not know any longer how to shape laws to deliver the outcomes that society now wants.
0: It's a fairly scathing um... Denunciation of the system. He seems to be saying that there's a two objectives of the of the planning system are irreconcilable in that the, they're trying to seeing both economic growth and um, sustainable development. They can't be pursued at the same time. You've got to choose one thing or the other. Is that is that what you sort of understood by his um, by his speech?
3: Yes, he was suggesting that they those two principles don't seem to be able to coexist at the same time, and that you can't pursue both.
0: So. That was one element of the, uh, of the conference that's attracted a lot of attention, um, we can see from our sort of readership figures. Another thing uh, I, I see from your coverage that the ongoing plan making crisis was um, at the forefront of discussions.
3: Yes, so Zach Simon, who is a planning barrister at Landmark Chambers, told the conference that the root problem facing the planning sector today is that plan making has, in his words, essentially collapsed. He noted that two-thirds of local planning authorities do not currently have an up-to-date local plan, adding that one-third do not even have a plan adopted within the past decade. While the number of plans submitted and adopted in the years immediately following the publication of the MPPF in 2012 wasn't too bad, he said that a slowdown in recent years, which saw just five plans submitted in the first half of this year, means that the situation is set to get much, much worse. With 60 plans delayed or withdrawn altogether In recent months, he said that we are now in a crisis of plan-making, adding that strategies are currently taking an average of seven years and a million pounds to be brought forward.
0: Okay, and uh, his prognosis wouldn't have been improved if he was aware of what was going on in Spelthorne, I guess.
3: No, I'd guess not.
0: Okay, and were there any other key takeaways from the weekend?
3: Yes, so there are probably two more that are worth highlighting. So firstly, in delivering her legal update... Heather Sargent, who is a barrister at Landmark Chambers, said that there had been two general themes of the past year. The first of these, she said, is a continued, if not increasing, focus on climate change legal arguments, although she said that climate change grounds of challenge had so far been generally unsuccessful. Her second key theme of the past year was the continued relevance of EU environmental legislation. Meanwhile, according to Thea Osmond-Smith, who is a barrister at Number 5 Chambers, there's been a rapid increase in the number of solar appeals in the past year. However, she said that grid capacity remains a major constraint on development and on the government's ability to meet its energy targets.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks very much for that. Good to get a pre-see of everything that went on in Oxford a couple of weeks ago. John, can I turn back to you and ask you to round up what else has been going on in the news in the, uh, in the past seven days?
1: Yes. First up is more news on the levelling up and regeneration bill. Peers in the House of Lords agreed an opposition amendment to the bill that seeks to overturn the government's effective ban on new onshore wind projects and create a level playing field for their development, despite ministers' opposition to the proposal. In other energy-related news, the Prime Minister has vowed to introduce a national spatial plan for energy infrastructure and a fast-track consenting route for transmission projects as part of what he calls comprehensive new reforms to the sector. Meanwhile, the Home Office has been ordered by West Lindsay District Council in Lincolnshire to halt work converting a former RAF base into accommodation for asylum seekers as the authority claims that the government department is breaking planning rules in doing so. And finally, the government's long-delayed national policy statement for water resources infrastructure has come into force. It sets out key planning considerations and sustainability requirements for applications to the streamlined major infrastructure regime for such projects. And in a lighter note, in a post on X, formerly Twitter, the Housing Minister, Rachel McLean, responded to a description by a political news website of what it called her crusade against nimbyism by describing it as an important job. The Guido Fork's website was covering the news of McLean's letter to Spelthorne Council, which we've just discussed, warning it not to withdraw its 9,000 home emerging local plan And it's an interesting position for the government to adopt, as we've just discussed. The Prime Minister has been accused of giving in to NIMBYism in the proposed MPPF changes, watering down the um, Council's local housing need requirements. But I think many in the, um, particularly in the development sector, might challenge the idea that there is any such crusade by the government, given its recent record.
0: Thanks very much, John. And of course, listeners can read more on all of the stories that we've been talking about today at planningresource.co.uk. Well, I think our work is done. Toby and Sam, thanks very much for that. I'll leave you sifting through the documents in, in room 106 and look forward to seeing you again soon. See you soon. Goodbye. John, let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Great. That's another few weeks summarised.
1: Yes, we'll be back with a bonus edition in a week's time, exploring the implications of Angela Rayner's appointment as Shadow Leveling Up Secretary, and finding out more about Michael Gove's promised crack regiment of skilled planners to deliver large-scale developments.
0: In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts, and to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.com. Dot uk Our thanks to producers Till Owen and Inga Marsden from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink and thanks for listening. Goodbye.